Petronas Premax 97 with ProRace has been developed with a formulation that's only unique to us, utilizing the world's first advanced dual friction modifier. Choosing Petronas Premax 97 with ProRace would also mean you're making a conscientious decision to help reduce carbon emissions as the fuel is more efficient. Besides delivering more power responsiveness, the power is out there, the choice is yours. Listen to the full interview with Azrul Osman Rani, Managing Director and CEO of Petronas Dagangan Berhad, over on BFM.my. This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. BFM 89.9, the business station. This is Matt Splained. I'm Richard Bradbury. 2020 was a year that showed us how robust our technology actually is. When the first wave of the pandemic lockdowns led to millions of people working from home, there was a fear that the internet might crash. As 2020 lurches into 2021, Matt Splained, Matt Armitage is here to talk about some of the systems that still need shoring up. I thought that 2020 was a shining example of humankind's digital future. In your eyes? Hey, Richard. Well, as you said in that lovely introduction, you know, for the most part, digital technology showed itself to be more robust and more resilient than many of us imagined it would be. There was a very real risk that connection speeds would slow down to to virtually nothing, that so many people would be streaming movies at the same time that effectively no one would be streaming any movies, and that Mm. instead of TikTok dance challenges the spinning wheels of death would be the year's signature move. You know, we were worried that uh, retail and grocery websites might go dark, that the servers that provide the back end for many of our businesses might crash or be inaccessible, and that digital life as we knew it might grind to a halt. Instead, what we got was a system that turned out to be so robust that we ended up doing 10 hours of video meetings a day. You know, how many of us over the last few months have claimed that our connection speeds have been slow or unreliable just to justify switching a streaming camera off or log out of a meeting entirely? Did anyone have to spend 10 hours in a video meeting with you? Luckily, for the good of most people's mental health, I I do tend to spread myself around so that nobody exceeds their recommended daily amount. Uh, I think a a couple of hours is probably the longest anyone's had exposure to me in any one go, except for my wife, of course, but uh, she's uh, fully inoculated or irreparably damaged, depending on the way you look at it. But the successes of our digital world aren't necessarily indications that everything went well. Look at the US presidential election. The Department of Homeland Security's own election security division declared it to be the most secure election in history. Yet a large chunk of the US population thinks that the elections were compromised, that they were unsafe, that they were hacked. Now, they weren't, but that threat of hacking and the reality of hacking was actually very real in 2020. The flip side of that is the news we've been getting over the last few weeks about the scale of those hacking attempts, the successful ones, inside various government ministries and utilities across the United States. And that's to do with this rush towards remote working? Well, I don't think we can put it in a box quite so easily. So yes, we've seen a mass scaling up of digital technologies, collaborative working practices and business automation services. And that has exposed some vulnerabilities. 
And sometimes those vulnerabilities have been baked into the existing systems of the companies that are adopting new technologies. But on the other hand, as we've seen with the Texan software company SolarWinds, these vulnerabilities have actually been in the purchased services and software that uh, that companies have moved in the pandemic to, to purchase. Mm. So that commercial or bureaucratic systems that were actually relatively secure before are suddenly now compromised. But by and large, these attacks have targeted flaws uh, and vulnerabilities that existed before the pandemic. It's the pandemic itself that's created conditions where those vulnerabilities can be targeted at or on a new scale. So that's really what we're talking about today, looking at the technology that served us very well in 2020, or or may have served us quite well, but had certain flaws or failures, and seeing how that technology can be tightened up in 2021. You know, simple things like putting a proper password in place, so randoms can't just zoom bomb your hangouts. Okay, uh, so what does need fixing? Well, I don't want to sound, you know, anti-competition, especially at a time when the monopolistic practices of big tech companies are under increasing scrutiny. But, you know, can we slow down with the video meeting services, please? Uh, Most companies will probably have settled on one platform or another. That's great. But that can mean that the third parties that service those companies have to juggle multiple services. I think uh, I've mentioned before, I'm juggling half a dozen different streaming video services according to whatever platform clients want to meet on. So I'm Mm. constantly trying to remember what the rules are, what the layout is, what the etiquette of each particular service is, and remembering just simple things. For example, on which service I have to mute my microphone because it's prone to feedback. Yeah, like which service has the most or or least stable video feed? Well, exactly. You know, do the notes and chat disappear after a meeting and only the owners and organisers can then have access to them? Can I access a recording of the session? Where exactly is the control to toggle between the the speaker and tile view? You want a bit more uh, standardisation? Well, yes, I know all these companies are competing with each other. So they are rolling out lots of different services and features in order to attract users. But can we have some features that are standard? For example, blurring out backgrounds or adding a virtual background that doesn't cut your ears off. Uh, Accessible (laughs) chat logs uh, and voice processing algorithms that don't squeeze all the emotion out of your voice and make everything you say sound like it's a sociopathic attack on your colleagues. What about the etiquette part? Well, firstly, no group photos and screen grabs. You know, by the end of most uh, (laughs) meetings and sessions, you know, our face muscles are frozen with all the fake smiling and feigning interest. Every group shot I've seen looks like images from the 19th century where everyone suspects that the photo is destroying part of their soul. But that soul Mm. destruction does lead us to a more human dimension, which is that maybe we could make a bit more effort with the way we look and the way we present ourselves during video meetings. I think the highlight of the year was the Spanish lawmaker who took a shower during a council meeting without realising that he hadn't muted his mic or turned his camera off. So he was exposing himself in front of the entire uh, panel or or council. Or the New Yorker reporter Jeffrey Toobin, who was sacked after unwittingly exposing himself 
during an editorial call with the paper. You know, we all know meetings get dull, but, you know, get a grip. <laughs> uh, we all have to take it a, a bit more, uh, we have to be a bit more personally responsible. Well, yeah, I think there's a balance, you know, steps we can take, but also things that we still need employers to do. So looking or being presentable, that's a step we can all take, uh, said the man who shaves twice a week at best. But also, I, I think companies shouldn't consider their job done simply by providing the platform and the device like a laptop for their staff. If we are going to be working from home for extended periods, then why not supply your staff with, you know, I don't know, decent lighting so that they don't look like ghouls? I think the ghoul thing might be unique to you, Matt. I don't want to argue with you, so I'm going to concede the point. But um, our, our companies and our bosses tell us that they want us to do our best. But of course, that's a two-way relationship. So they should be providing the tools that allow those employees to do their best. Part of adapting to these new working methodologies requires the provision of different technologies and tools. So that mm. might mean giving someone the means to buy a decent desk or the means to move out of a tiny one-room place where the bed is their desk. We're talking about home office infrastructure? Yeah, so that somebody can have the means to be on more than just an ISP's basic package with capped speeds and uh, download quotas. Because that connectivity, their connectivity, will also impact on the team that they collaborate with. So we're right. talking about, you know, quite minor things like lighting, decent cameras, microphones with background noise cancelling technology that don't pick up every car and drill-wielding contractor in a five-kilometer radius. Uh, incidentally, one of the best things I bought in 2020 was uh, a US $1 aftermarket lens cover for my webcam. So why don't they just put one of those in the box? But, mm. you know, in terms of office infrastructure, you know, how many of us over the last year or so have been stuck trying to make out what someone's saying because they've got a decent company-provided laptop, but they're using a curbside stall headset that's no better than a tin can and a piece of string. But at the same time, you know, you can't blame that person. It's not fair to put that cost onto the worker who's using that tin can headset because people had a lot of other priorities for their money last year. So give people the tools they need to do the job they're being employed to do, especially if you're one of those companies that's looking at long-term remote working practices, not just for the flexibility, but also as a way to reduce your fixed overheads. So before we head into the break, uh, can you give us an example of a fail that couldn't be fixed? Well, the video streaming platform Quibi was launched to great fanfare back in April. The project was the brainchild of former Disney chairman and movie producer Jeffrey Katzenberg. It sat in the uh, digital content ecosphere somewhere between TikTok and Netflix. Its catalogue basically consisted of short-form content up to 10 minutes long, but made by professional studios with big-name presenters and actors. So the idea was it was the kind of content that uh, would be, you know, perfect for city commutes and for those work breaks. It had a subscription mm. model, so it was priced at uh, around $5 per month, US dollars. 
Now, it wasn't a bad idea, although I have to say I can't remember any of the programming or stars the network said it had signed up. So not a bad idea, more a lukewarm idea that was launched at a terrible time. It launched almost exactly as those commutes started to become a distant memory. We were being confined to our homes, we had lots of free time, and we were engaging with and binge-watching a lot more long-form content. So, you know, I'm a little bit surprised that the conspiracy theory nuts have have blamed China for the pandemic and not the streaming services, given the financial windfall of a, a year they experienced. Okay, when we come back, more fails and misfires from the technosphere of 2020. You tuned in to Matt Splained here on BFM 89.9, the business station. Buggy Free Minum, BFM 89.9, the business station. BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Welcome back to part two of Matt's Splained. My name is Rich Bradbury. Now, Matt's Splained has its DIY hat on today, looking at the digital tech that needs a little bit of tweaking to make it 2021 compliant. I never took you for a DIY guy, Matt. I think there's a fundamental misunderstanding here. When I say do it yourself, that's what I mean. You do it yourself. Don't come to me for your fixes. I'm the first person who's going to call in the experts. So last year was a weird year because we were so preoccupied that a lot of the announcements that would normally be headline news, at least in the tech world, came and went with little fanfare. So I totally missed the announcement, for example, that Quibi, that video sharing company we were talking about, had closed its doors in December and actually returned $1.7 billion to its investors. Mm. Now, that's notable for two reasons. A multi-billion dollar startup flashed and burned in six months. But more than that, it closed before it had burned through all of its capital and it actually returned a huge chunk of money to its backers. Uh, How normal is it for startups to give money back? I'm sure there must be other examples of startups that realized they weren't going anywhere and shut down and returned some of the money. But in any normal year, that would be enormous news. As Mm. it was, it ended up as a footnote in most of the end of year review stuff that I've seen. The same with Jack Ma's Ant Group, whose uh, public listing on the Shanghai Exchange was pulled two days before launch in the last quarter of 2020. Think of all the headlines and the chatter that surrounded the suspension of the WeWork IPO in 2019. Now, that would have been the world's largest IPO. But compared to the coverage that WeWork received, the response to that suspension has been very, very muted. And what else did we see that needs work? Well, 2020 was supposed to be the year that dual screen phones finally became a thing. I can't really imagine a worse time to introduce flagship road warrior devices that cost somewhere in the region of 1500 US dollars. Now, I think they're a great idea. The the dual screens, not the $1,500 devices, that trend definitely needs to stop. But Mm. some pundits have wondered whether flip style devices should remain in the past. So the simple answer to that is they're wrong. 
my <laughs> Motorola Razr, which I still have, although I don't think it works anymore, it's the coolest phone I've ever owned. It still looks futuristic. It's a tiny, minimalist sliver of a thing that Apple probably wept when they saw. So there has been, if not a clamour, then interest in similar devices updated for the always-on age. And device makers have been teasing us with develops in foldable screens for the past five years. Curved TV screens and, and computer monitors are now pretty common. Well, yeah, it sounds weird to say to someone who grew up when black and white TVs were still pretty common. Uh, another pointless uh, anecdote about the past, but snooker was a huge TV sport back in the black and white days of my childhood. But unless the commentators told you what ball had been potted, you mostly didn't have a clue what was going on because you basically had balls all the same colour. Uh, mm -hmm. You're a bit younger than me, but I'm betting that your first TV was a, a black and white hand-me-down as well. Absolutely was. And I would be pinned into my grandma's chair, forced to watch snooker in black and white as well. I remember exactly. it very well. <laughs> very vividly, right. <laughs> you know, I, I was always more of a, a radio and music guy, so I didn't have a TV in my room. Even when I was at university, I got my first TV when... Uh, when I was about 25, which is probably unbelievable for most people. And even then, it was an ancient late 70s, early 80s push-button bear moth that someone in my family was throwing away. Uh, I thought it was great. It had that crackle of electrostatic radiation that you could feel anywhere within about a three-foot arc of the screen. Uh, okay, sorry, I'm dementia rambling again. Um, yeah, so, calm yeah, down, calm down. Um, yes, 2021, that's where we're supposed to be. Thank you, mummy. I'm a good boy. Uh, so the, the race has been on to miniaturize that technology, that screen technology, to produce screens that can essentially fold over themselves without breaking. Um, like the foldable devices we saw last year from uh, manufacturers like uh, Huawei, Samsung and uh, Motorola. Yeah, and in a way they faced some of the same problems that Quibi faced. Uh, poor guys, you know, they're turning into my poster child for failure like Juicero was uh, a few years back. <laughs> but I think the, you know, the two words that accurately describe what we were looking for in 2020 were what we started the show with, robust and resilient. If ever a year called for affordable, durable devices, it was 2020. It certainly wasn't the best time to introduce devices that were fragile and frivolous and that few developers were creating native apps for. Uh, side note, but, you know, being able to alter screen resolutions on phones and tablets is one of my bugbears, but that's a, a topic for another show. You know, the, the nature of those devices and their flexible screens meant that they had weird screen resolutions in certain use cases. Mm. So you have these really expensive devices that don't work terribly well because apps aren't designed to make best use of all of that screen estate, which made it hard to figure out what statement that you were actually making by owning one. What do you mean uh, when you say statement? Well, you know, it's saying that I'm an early adopter and I have the money to spend on a device that is super pricey and, like most first-generation tech, pretty flawed. Manufacturers rely on the passion of those cheerleaders to spearhead not only the use cases for future development, but also to show off the devices to other people. 
it's a statement of where these companies are heading and what those mass consumer technologies might look like in two or three or five years' time. But mm. that power to promote and let others touch and test is very much distilled in a year of lockdowns where you want to disinfect anything that other people touch. And that fragility meant that you were probably even less likely to hand the device around to be ood and aahed at, especially as there were reports that the hinges on some of those devices really didn't last that long. Do you think it's a, a bit of a dead end, um, a bit like 3D TVs, something that the uh, industry is pushing us to want? Well, it's a difficult question, or rather it's a complicated one. So profit margins for tech companies are generally higher when you're talking about their flagship products. But emerging tech is often made at a loss because they haven't written off the R&D costs yet. And of course, the components are being made in smaller runs. And in the tech mm. world, that leading edge is something that quickly becomes mainstream and then obsolete. So as I said, this may be the way or the direction that our devices are heading. The screens on our smartphones have gotten about as large as they can without turning into tablets or becoming completely unpocketable or unusable. Some phones are already way too big for, for my little hands. So there's been a lot of debate about whether we want to return to those days of clamshell-style devices. Certainly, this first generation of dual-screen tech was very bulky, in the same way that the first Nokia communicator devices were very bulky. But those mm. communicator devices were part of the genesis, part of the smart convergence of devices that have become the smartphones we use today. All right. Um, give us one uh, final quick example of tech that needs to do better uh, in 2021. Well, I guess we don't have time to talk about pandemic vaccination programs that are stalling in some countries because mm. their government can't get the drugs that have been developed, approved and produced in record time out of warehouses and to the people they're designed to protect. That's probably a, a show of its own. Uh, it's bizarre, though, that we've managed to build logistic systems that can get pretty much anything you could wish to buy delivered to your door within a few days in the midst of a, a global health emergency. Yet those same governments, with the best part of a year to figure it out, are effectively stockpiling vaccines because they can't figure out how to distribute and uh, and implement and actually, you know, inoculate people. But mm. I imagine, you know, those are cases for the human rights courts of the, uh, the future. Ditto with uh, big tech and uh, privacy and the cases we're, we're seeing and certainly the... Uh, what we're hearing from lawmakers, especially in countries uh, like the US, about cases that are likely to come in the next year or two, those are topics for another day. So I guess electric bikes and scooters, those are something that we can speed discuss. You're not, you're not a fan? Quite the opposite. I think some of the rideshare scooter companies and schemes need looking at in terms of regulation. But the tech of the devices is really good. Now, I think it's more about uh, the place they occupy in society. You know, we've seen much more of a focus on local neighborhoods and their services and facilities in 2020, largely because we've been confined to our neighborhoods for large chunks of the year. Mm. At the same time, you know, people are worried about the health risks of taking public transport and not being able to control their own space and, 
you know, like I said, the health risks that, that come with that. Mm. Some cities have been really active in creating cycle lanes and pedestrianizing, but often electric scooters and bikes fall into this grey zone. It's not always clear how and where they can be used. Do they count as motorised vehicles? Can they use non-electric cycle lanes? We talk about paving the way for electric cars to replace combustion engine vehicles, but here we have millions of electric vehicles that could be acting as a trailblazer for that movement, but we haven't given it sufficient focus. So around the world, we see government incentives and subsidies to buy electric cars. Those mm. subsidies are often more than generous enough to buy e-bikes or scooters for an entire family. But we're wedded to this idea of four wheels good, two wheels bad, like it's some kind of technology inversion of Animal Farm. So that's something I hope we can fix this year, because if we have to live more locally for the foreseeable future, then give us the guidelines, the framework and the stimulus to do it. And I think that final sentence should pretty much be my motto for 2021. Thank you very much, Matt. Uh, of course, you have been listening to Matt Splained. You can find Matt on Instagram at culturepop and at culturemat. You can also head over to culturepop.com where he has transcripts of these shows and articles he's written and, of course, information on the business and consulting side of what Culture Pop does. If you missed any part of the show, don't forget you can download the podcast wherever you normally listen to it. I'd recommend the BFM app. It's available in the Apple App Store or Google Play. For BFM 89.9, my name is Rich Bradbury. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.